I'd like to welcome you to our worship service this morning. This was supposed to have been our sermon from last week, but sickness prevailed in our family, and so we'll, we'll try this again. And actually, this works out well with the sermon that we have this morning because of the fact that we were looking at in our study in Exodus about the Passover. And while the Passover, you don't necessarily immediately connect right to the topic of forgiveness, they actually go hand in hand um, when the connection can be seen through Jesus Christ. And of course, this text is from either Psalm 51 verse 7 or Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18. And we're going to look at some of the, the passages that deal with this subject matter. And what we're going to do is go from here and springboard into the next three weeks of lessons that hopefully will reflect the things that we're wanting to accomplish this year. And then after that, we're going to kind of head on into more exegetical style of, of sermons. But this concept of being white as snow. You ever thought about the whole concept of colors and what have you? Because I know there are songs that deal with colors. Uh, I, think, I think there's a song, a modern song that's called Colors, if I'm not mistaken. It deals with the various uh, symbolism of the colors found in Scripture and our, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But with this concept of this whiteness, growing up in Hawaii, snow was not much of a, I don't know, common thing. <laughs> not that it's so common here in Tennessee, but at least we get to see it almost every year. But I remember one year, um, it was on Christmas Day, I had my $6 million doll. I don't know if those of you are old enough to know those $6 million dolls, but it, one of the features of this doll was the bionic eye. And I remember looking out uh, from our house in Makawao, which is about 2,000 feet up in elevation, looking up 10,000 feet to Haleakala, and I'd never seen it till that day. Snow. It was beautiful. We begged mom and dad to take us up to Haleakala so we could go play in snow. Can you imagine on Maui playing in snow Christmas Day? And so we got up there and we saw about one-fourth of an inch of snow. By the time we got up there, maybe. It was all nothing but cinder or whatever from the, the lava. And there was ice and... We made ice balls, <laughs> so, <laughs> hit each other, no, we didn't hit each other with ice balls, but it, I mean, just the thought of seeing that white stuff was just spectacular, and it wasn't until I came to the mainland and actually got to play in snow as a college student that I got to appreciate the, the powder stuff, if you will, and, and it wasn't until I became a Christian that I saw the significance of this whiteness of snow, and of course... As we read in Psalm 51, verse 7, as was given um, for us just now in the, in the text, we see that our sins are such that they are done away with. Our lives are likened unto that powdery white stuff that's just perfectly clean before any of the dirt is seen in it. It's just perfectly white. But this is what is the result of that white snow from sins being taken away. And I believe every single one of us in this room can relate to something that's on this board. Every one of us. For some of us, it's going to be a multiplicity of things. Whether it's going to be sexual immorality, hatred and murder and drunkenness, drugs, greed, jealousy, stealing, being lazy, causing dissension and faction, 
having impure speech, thoughts, or behavior, idolatry, addictions, blasphemy, arrogance, and of course, not able to forgive. All of these things we're guilty of, every one of us. We may not have been guilty of every single one of these things on here, but every one of us is guilty of something that's on here, and for a number of us, a multiplicity of those things. The question is, how guilty are you? In other words, you know, someone might say, well, you know, arrogance, I was born that way. I was born arrogant, so it's, you know, it's just something I, that you have to put up because that's me and you cannot change. Someone actually said, Mitch, that's you, you cannot change, that's who you are. There's something called repentance and something called conversion. And we may never be perfect at it, but hopefully that conversion is that we're getting rid of this arrogance. Or if we've been addicted, or if we are idolaters, or if we have impurity in our thoughts and in our speech and our behavior, all of those things... Whatever the excuses we are that we point to someone, it's their fault that I'm this way, or this is who I am, I was born this way. Whatever the situation is, whatever the sins are that we've been guilty of, part of being washed away is a change in our life. So I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but that's what we're looking at this morning, a changed life. That's part of the conversion that is found in Jesus Christ. And so because of this conversion or before this conversion takes place, we've got to see the debt, the weight of this sin. I had a grim reaper, but he looked really, really bad. I thought with some of our children, I have to make it as generic as possible. But I want you to see how awful sin is. And children, I want you to see that the wages of sin, just as adults need to see this, is death. We have read this passage hundreds, if not thousands of times. But sometimes we can read it and not feel the weight of what's being said. We're told in, in Romans chapter 6 that that's the wage, death. The picture is this green reaper that comes, if you will, um, that many times we see on TV or read about in stories, and we're facing judgment of some sort. But really, that, if you want to call him the green reaper, he's the judge of all judges. He's the one that came into this world and actually died for you. The one who gives you salvation is the same one who is going to judge every one of us here. Every one of us in this world. And we are told that's death. Separation from God. And you cannot imagine um, that separation except through human terms. You take children... And they get lost. They're separated from mom and dad. And pretty soon you start hearing cries that you know something's wrong. It's not just any cry that you're upset. It's a cry that I'm in panic. I am separated from safety, from mom, from dad. And the same situation that we can read of in Scripture about Jesus when he did not want to be separated from his father. That's the agony. That's the, the pain. That's the the um, result, if you will, of this death, lack of fellowship. And sometimes I'm wondering if we're just, well, if I'm not with God, it's no big deal. <laughs> we cannot imagine what it's like. Because right now, even those who are living in sin have a measure of God's grace in their lives. And they are not feeling the full blunt of being separated from Him completely. But when judgment comes... 
it'll be felt in a way that is almost inexplicable. It's very difficult for us. But I want you to see, that's the wages that have been paid on the cross by Jesus Christ for us when we were guilty of it. And so if we're going to look at this weight then, and you try to have this scale as to what has been provided for us, we are told in Matthew 16, verse 26, what does it profit if a man gains the whole world and loses his soul? I mean, what would you give in exchange for your soul? Some people give one moment of pleasure for their soul. In, if we were to use monetary terms, here's a penny for a moment of pleasure. And you contrast that little penny, you take all the riches in this world, take all the gold, all the silver, all the diamond, all the platinum, all the whatever is valuable in this world, put it all together, fill it up on our continent here, and your soul is more precious than that, more valuable than that. And Jesus is teaching us in, in Matthew 16, teaching his own disciples, it's not worth all the riches of this lifetime for you to lose your soul. Your soul is too precious. It's too valuable. That's what he came here so that you would have that valuable soul of yours always in fellowship with God by coming to him. That's what he wants. The thing is that not everyone gets this. And, and so if we're going to understand good news, we have to understand that, that when you take someone whose life is so in this dump, like one of the women that we just met in the jail on Friday, introducing herself and saying, I've been arrested four times and I am done on the path that I've been on. And I want to have a relationship with our Lord. And so we prayed together. She's expecting to be released in the middle of this year. And she's expected to be homeless when she gets out. She said, I don't want to live this way anymore. I'm done. What kind of appreciation is that? I mean, that, that's why next week we're looking at how good is the good news. And I'm going to go through scripture and looking at what scripture actually says with regard to the gospel and how good the good news really is. Because sometimes I'm not so sure if we actually get it. The, if we get the good news that we are made white as snow, it's supposed to do something for us with regard to this process that we call conversion. And so not everyone gets this concept. Though your sins are like scarlet, like that bloody red color, that purplish bluish color, if you will, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. And so the question is, why don't some people get it? Why is it even in the body of Christ, we have mom and dad and we're raising our children, we teach our children that we as parents aren't instilling or as children, we're not getting this concept. One of the things we talked about in our study this morning in this auditorium class was the fact that sometimes we don't feel the weight of sin. And so the deliverance of salvation is not as greatly received. It's more a academic exercise of understanding. I'm a sinner. Okay, I got that. And I've been saved because I was baptized in Christ. Okay, I get that. But there's something about the heart. There's something about the feelings within an individual that expresses just how much we get salvation. How much we appreciate salvation. 
You, you can take the most stoic person in the world. I guarantee you this. If he has been underwater for about two minutes and ready to pass out, and someone grabs him by the arm and yanks him out of the ocean or out of the lake, and he is gasping for air, that, that person, as stoic as he may be in his regular life, would be very grateful in that moment. Right? He's not going to go, thanks. You saved my life. I mean, you would have tears coming from his face. Many would have words of indebtedness verbalized for what had been done. Because that's how valuable life is. And so when we look at, at scriptures, we can see there is a difference in individuals in how they receive the salvation of God. Well, look at Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, remember in verses 15 through 17, you know, if a brother sins against you, tell him his fault between you and he alone. If he doesn't hear you, take it to the church. If he doesn't hear the church. And so after, after going through, I'm paraphrasing, of course. Peter then says, after all of this, and after Jesus then goes on to talk about how, um, you know, where two or three are gathered in my name, you know, it shall be. Peter responds and says, well, Lord, if my brother sins against me seven times, how many times shall I forgive him? Look at Jesus' response. And I want to read the response that he gives with regard to this concept of forgiveness because it is so crucial to how we view deliverance from our judgment, from the wages of sin that we deserve. Matthew chapter 18 says over here, beginning in verse 21, Excuse me. Peter said, Lord, how often shall I, uh, my brother, sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Jesus said, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a, curtain king, uh, like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents but as he was not able to pay his master commanded that he be sold with his wife children and all that he had and that payment be made the servant therefore fell down before him saying master have patience with me and i will pay you all now let me stop before i read any further modernize this you owe someone 10 trillion dollars and the guy says, Master, have patience with me. I'll pay you all. <clears throat> then the master of the servant was moved with compassion, released him, forgave him the debt. Imagine a debt that could never have been paid back anyway. How do you even accumulate that kind of debt? But it was accumulated and it could not be paid back. And the master of the servant was moved with compassion and forgave him all. But the servant went out, found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Okay? Trillion dollars, $3,000. The master goes out again, as I'm reading verse 28 again, finds one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, maybe three months' wages. 
and he laid hands on him, took him by the throat, saying, Pay me now what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet, begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. So this man had a huge debt he could never have paid back, asks patience, and he would pay the debt, a debt that he could never pay back. And compassion is given to him. He turns around after compassion has been given to him, not even appreciating what has just been done, sees another person in the same situation that he is in, even if it is in minute terms, much less than that debt that you could never pay back. This is one that could have been paid back. And without the compassion, he grabs this man's throat and says, you pay me what is owed. When his fellow servants, in verse 31, saw what he had done, they were very grieved, came and told their master all that had been done. And then his master, after he had called him, said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you begged me. Should you also not have compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? Some just don't get it. There are some who go through this life, have been forgiven of sins, but act as if the next person that needs forgiving because they've wronged you, you'll not forgive. Brethren, some of us don't get the weight of our own sins. And if we don't truly get the weight of our own sins, it's hard for us to look at someone else who needs the forgiveness of their sins. Because they're not deserving. I will not forgive them. Or I forgive them, but they don't have compassion. It's just words. There's no, there's no meat behind those words. There's no substance behind those words. There's no compassion behind those words. And I believe that's the reason why some don't understand salvation, deliverance. Or they soon forget what has been given. Sometimes we expect that if there's someone who comes out of this world into the light, so to speak, that we expect them to just, boom, to be just like me. Because look, I give my life. I'm like that son, the older brother to the prodigal son. I didn't do anything wrong. And I have a hard time being compassionate to my brother who went off in the way of prodigal living. I believe this is why some just don't recognize the weight of their own personal sins or appreciate the deliverance of salvation. Don't get it. But if you're going to get it, you have to be able to do at least these two things. You have to recognize that your debt is immeasurable. That the wages of sin is so enumerated, if you want to put a financial value to it, it cannot be measured. It can't. And that's why in Luke chapter 7, verse 41 and 42, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. I mean, at least that everyone can understand. 100 denarii in the previous parable. Here, 500 denarii. Still understandable. This is at least one, two years of, of wages. We get it. If I owed one or two years of wages... I'm telling you right now, I would just be flabbergasted that someone would pay that kind of a debt off. Someone owes 50 denarii. 
You can pay that off in less than two months as an average worker in the first century. A couple of years or one. The debt difference is so great, Jesus then asks this Pharisee, which of them will love him more? The one that was forgiven with little or the one forgiven with a lot? Which will love more? And obviously the answer is the greater, the bigger the debt, the more thankful you are, the more you will love the person who forgave the debt. That's obvious. That's human nature. And so how do we look at our salvation? Is our salvation likened unto 50 denarii or 500 denarii? Is it likened to 100 denarii of wages that need to be paid back that, that you can pay back? Or a trillion dollars worth of wages you could never pay back. Which one would cause you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind? You see, I'm, I'm under the impression that because of human nature, if the debt that we had was so minimal to us, we would want to pay it back rather than be indebted to someone. Here, here's the hundred denarii. Thank you. I paid you back. I earned I earned the wages that, that I got to pay off my debt. I did it of my own strength, my own accord, versus, I don't have, I mean, if we pull all our money in this church building, pull it all together, take all your, your um, I don't do it, so I don't know what it is, investments, <laughs> take all your earnings, take all your investments, take all your assets, combine it, and we put it here in this building and put a number value to it, it's not even close for one soul. We bring Bill Gates in, bring in all the rich people from Saudi Arabia, bring them from all over the world, not even close. Which one will love more? That's the thing that we're looking at. So you have to be able to recognize your debt being so great, it's not, we could never pay it back. But having recognized that then, look at what Jesus has done. Look at what our Father has done by paying a debt that we could never pay back. And so live this way. Live as someone who is white as snow. If you're not so grateful, you're not so thankful, there won't be a conversion. If there's no conversion, you'll just go on doing what you're doing. And no one will know the better. We can go on living. We can even come to this building and worship with the saints and no one would know. Because we're still living in our daily life, in the, private, the privacy of our own closet, if you will, and live the way we normally had been before we were converted to the Lord. For that, ma that matter, we've not been converted. We just go on living the same way. But brethren, if we as sinners appreciate the great debt we could never pay back, and we are as white as snow, live someone who is as white as snow, as someone who is forgiven. It will show the whole world. And I don't care how stoic you are. You'll have such a smile on your face when you talk to others about Jesus Christ and what he has done. You cannot help but permeate Christ for within your life. And the thanksgiving that exudes from your life. That's what we're talking about then. If we're going to live as someone who's forgiven, it's going to show up in every aspect of our lives. That doesn't make it mean that we're perfect. That doesn't mean we still have to deal with the things of the flesh. That happens in our lives. That's understandable. 
But what's clearly seen is someone who through the struggle of the flesh in this lifetime has the forgiveness of sins and it is known. It is seen. And everyone gets to see that in your life. And so not only do you recognize that you are forgiven of a huge unpayable debt that is paid for you on the cross through Jesus, not only do you recognize that, but you realize it. It actually becomes a reality of your life. Someone who lives a life of forgiveness. And that's why it brings peace with those angst. It brings love where there was hatred. And it brings unity and harmony where there's division. That's what forgiveness of sins does in our lives. That's what it looks like. So that if my brother offends me, I can easily forgive him. I have a spirit of forgiveness. I have a desire to forgive. Because that's exactly what my God was for me. When I was approaching my God like the prodigal son, he was running to me with open arms. Isn't that the picture of the father with the prodigal son? Sure it is. Is that us, when someone wants to come to us for forgiveness, do we run out with open arms to forgive? Ephesians chapter 2 verse 14 following talks about that middle wall of division that separated the Jews and Gentiles. That's the same wall of division that separates us from salvation. And that blood of Jesus Christ bridges that, that division, if you will, that gap. And is that the way we treat others then? How we have been treated? It allows you to move forward, allowing you to give your life for the one who forgave you of yours. Imagine that, that by virtue of the forgiveness of your sins, you can go out and talk to others about the gospel, and let's say they turn to the Lord and they do you wrong. That you can have the kind of heart that is a forgiving heart for the one who gave it for you. And that's why we, when we read Matthew chapter 6, you know, forgive us our daily debt. As you've forgiven us ours. Oh, excuse me, as we've forgiven others, theirs. All of this is because of how we have been made what is known. We've been changed. No longer are we stained with sin. We live as one who is holy, one who is righteous, one who is as what is known. But can it be seen? Or is there still blood stains on your hand in the way you treat others by hurting and, and maiming and hating and causing division. See, those are the things that are dealt with here in Scripture, particularly in, in the New Covenant. And that's the difference between someone who's conformed by the way of this world and continuing on, even if they were wet from this water here, and someone who's transformed by the renewing of their mind. Huge difference. You see it in their life. So in the end, if you're as white as snow, you'll be made just like the one who died for you. Remember when in Matthew, Jesus said to his disciples at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he said, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. When you're white as snow, you can be. You can be just like your Father in heaven. Now, if you're trying to think from a wages standpoint, from a Technical standpoint, not going to be that way. But if you are loving, 
and forgiving and kind and patient and gentle and, and long-suffering, all those things as you can see as the fruit of the Spirit, all the things that manifest the very Spirit of God, you're just like Him. Because you're made like Him. Made in His image. And as He is pure, you're pure. As He is holy, you are holy. Because in Christ Jesus, you've been forgiven of your sins. And your sins washed away. No longer are you scarlet or crimson, but white as wool and snow. That's what you have. In Colossians 3 and verse 12 and 13, we've closed with this. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy, that's who you are in Christ Jesus. As the elect of God, you're holy and beloved. Put on, therefore, tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. That's what your life is like. If you're white as snow, this is the way you live. And it shows up. Now, the whole reason for this sermon as we close is because sometimes Christians forget where they came from. Kind of like the person who lives in poverty and then they get their million dollars from their lost uncle in inheritance and then they act as if, you know, they, they don't know what to do. And they become a whole different person and someone that is not grateful for the gift that had been given. Some Christians forget where they came from. We came from the mire of sin. He took us out of that mire and cleaned us, made us white. Now, not only are we children of God, made in his image, we behave like him. And the ones that behave like him are forgiving like him, loving like him. Brethren, if we're going to spread the gospel in our community, that's what people in the community, those who are in the mire of their sin now, they need to be able to see that. They need to see the love of God and the wisdom of God working in your life and get to see forgiveness in your life, reigning through your life. And that gives them hope that they can have the same salvation that has been offered to them as it has been for you.